Most medical systems and perspectives utilize the term healing within their practice as their goal or intention of what they hope to achieve or promise as a result of participating in their programs. However, when taking a closer look at the term healing and its accepted meaning within our society, the question arises of, do we ever truly heal? Within the just philosophy and the focus on the five levels of wellness, the answer of no can be derived and shifted away from the word healing to the terms processing and managing. As we begin the process of working on our internal, it allows us to have more awareness at the subtleties of the external and the way we interact and perceive the world around us. This includes shifting of perspectives and, in the case of this episode, the words we use when old definitions no longer fit our newer perspectives. Whoa, keep growing. Now, if you find yourself in appreciation or gratitude after listening to this or other past episodes, then please consider participating in our value for value exchange. Give back the value that you received from these episodes by sharing the podcast, reviewing us on iTunes, rating, subscribing on Spotify or YouTube, interacting with us on our social media, or offering any of your skills or services that could assist us in our expansion or support us through the good old-fashioned energetic exchange of modern-day currency. And this can be done through our patron account at wise-wise.com slash p-a-t-r-e-o-n. And if you participate monetarily, we do have a few perks set up. One includes getting your own shout-out on an individual episode. Now, whichever way you choose to give back and show your full appreciation of the energy that we pour into each and every episode of the Wise Wise podcast, Alexander and I give you a deep thank you. And of course, a thank you to everybody out there listening and supporting and practicing any of these tools or taking on new perspectives. You are helping the world change one little molecule of energy at a time. So we appreciate you all. And now, let's blow our minds with some new perspectives. Let's journey. With Aaron and Alexander. Uncovering our authentic self through self awareness, conscious communication, and emotional responsibility. Welcome back to another episode of Wise Wise. Thank you for joining us. I am Aaron. Alexander here. And today we are going to look at whether or not we really heal in a sense that we're actually curing ourselves of the topics that we talk about, whether it's past childhood trauma or experiences that we've had within the last few years that have really traumatized us. And of course, we are also going to be bringing in the five levels in that conversation. And I'm really excited to get into this because I love these philosophical discussions. 
Um, brings me back to my curious roots. So, Alexander, do you have any uh, initial insight to add to that? Yeah, well, I know that this has been a subject that's um, been on your mind for quite a while, and we have discussed uh, behind the scenes um, these different just views or hypotheses, and and that's kind of the way we're presenting this episode as as just that, that this is truly an open discussion, something I've been looking at for a long time, something that Aaron has brought to our attention. So the whole view of you know, healing, fixing things, curing things, whether this view is truly useful in our processing and and toward true wellness. And so we're going to discuss just kind of the the concept of releasing those extreme, I'll just use extreme views. And maybe look at all of these subjects from a more uh, view of management and shifting of energy to work toward optimal wellness. So let's see where this conversation goes. I think I would love to start out this topic with talking about trauma because that's kind of what we're essentially talking about. We're not really necessarily talking about the, the physical level but I know many people, when they when you hear heal, that's kind of where our mind goes is, okay, you know, our body, our skin, when we have a cut, uh, injuries along those lines. But when we're talking about healing and, and this work, we're really talking about or, or most likely talking about damage or effects from past trauma that mostly lie in our energetic body, our emotional body maybe talk about where kind of you see that damage that we're going to be talking about healing. Well, again, we want to mention all of the five levels. So the physical, the mental, emotional, energetic, and spiritual or religious. And so this damage or this healing um, can, can be on all five levels or a mixture of the five levels. So when, you know, a human being goes through an experience, it can leave different levels of damage on those different levels. And so say someone goes through, you know, physical abuse and actually has scars physically. They can heal, of course, from it physically, but it can lay dormant and traumatize through the rest of this person's life on the energetic, the spiritual the emotional and the mental. And so, you know, I think the closer we get to understanding that we need to give all five of these levels equal attention. And, um, you know, our culture has been kind of stuck on the physical and the mental and just now starting to open up to the emotional and hopefully the energetic and expand in the spiritual. So you mentioned abuse as one of the ways we could take on this trauma that we are seeking to essentially quote heal as we do this work. But what are some other maybe less extreme uh, experiences that we could have had throughout our life that may have created and is creating this sort of energetic drainage that we are hoping to heal so that we can become energetically well? Well, sometimes it can be something 
that's handed down through family lineage, um, patterns of how, like I see many times, uh, the pattern of worry in families and like the mother may worry and then the children are just trained to worry. And many times that people don't think of themselves necessarily as worriers because they've been around it their whole life. And so this is where, you know, it helps to have people around us that we can trust and respect to help point things out that we may or may not be aware of. You know, something else can be as simple as, you know, a five-year-old playing and um, hearing a loud noise and not understanding what that noise is, and that can create a trigger to sensitivity in, you know, in their environment. And so whatever your sensitivity is, I guess that's what we want to look at here, that whatever your sensitivity is, realize that that has a gift in it and it has a cost. And here we want to just discuss some of the ways to combat, you know, that cost so much so you can get to the gift of these sensitivities. And so, you know, I work with a lot of empathic people, you know, in my through my practice, and that's the main focus is to be able to utilize the gift but be able to manage and regulate the cost uh, so much. So I think that view of wellness, once again, you don't have to think of getting rid of it because having the polarity view of one of the five pillars, you know, that everything does have a so-called high side and a so-called low side. And so when we think of healing or curing or fixing, see, we're making something only uh, one or two dimensional and not allowing its opposite to, to exist. And that mindset I have found through my experience is what creates and continues a lot of resistance in people's lives, a lot of friction, because they won't allow and accept the full range that is necessary to exist on this earth in this lifetime. And that we can choose our free will is to choose what we put our focus in. But we don't have to get rid of what we don't prefer. We can still accept that it needs to exist. And I think that that's a big shift from the mindset of healing to the mindset of working toward wellness. You mentioned worrying and that kind of created a flashback in my head of me laying in bed as a child hearing my parents argue about money. Mm -hmm. And I remember taking on that worry. And it's interesting because I'm also a diamond card. So that kind of worry goes hand in hand with my three and seven in the destiny card system. Right. So I have this question because I'm a three and seven of diamonds, did it make me more susceptible to worry about money and take on that? Whereas maybe my sisters didn't as much because if they're, if they are not, I I know my older sister is the three diamonds as well. Or is that just part of divine order where it was set up that way so that my parents worried about money, set it in front of me. And then I took it on because that's kind of, you know, they kind of shaped me into that energetic mold Mm-hmm. So I had those, uh, that energy where I would have to eventually overcome in my life. So 
I don't know. You know, I maybe mean, maybe this, there's not an answer there, but no, this is a great great point to what we were just discussing is that, like right there, either consciously or subconsciously, there's a which one is it, and I just want to say yes to both. They both can exist because see, you're just choosing which perception to hold on to. It doesn't matter which one's right or wrong. We got to get rid of that right and wrong view, and realize that you're just choosing a. A, the next step and that step is going to go in a certain direction and the more you continue on a consistent path the more likely you are to see truth so that's why the consistency is so important and why the just philosophy has all of these um, kind of stages and steps so with that I would agree that it would make you more susceptible to absorbing that to where if another one of your siblings were, say, spades and clubs, they wouldn't be as affected by the worry over this money and what is valued and that kind of thing. And so at the same time, you can say, well, you set it up that way to get trained through that way, and they didn't set up the same kind of training. All the siblings are getting, you know, same parents, but getting different experiences out of it. So... I love the fact of being able to, you know, to see those connections. And with me, when I dissected, when I came into uh, existence, where my parents were at that time and what they had been through and their age, because they were, my mother was actually going in for a hysterectomy. So see, they had already gotten clear that they were done with the procreating. And then I was a big surprise. And so a lot of my insecurity that I carry uh, I know comes from that time and where my mom and dad were, they had actually split up and gotten back together. And so this was a new union of two people that had been married for over 25 years and they were done with kids and now they've got this new surprise. So I came into a world of complete unplanned that created a lot of doubt. And so that helped me through my self-acceptance of why I carried so much insecurity and frustration. And so when I think about where my mother and father was the first seven years of my life, I have a feeling and I've heard through stories that, yes, there was a lot of insecurity and frustration being experienced during that time. So see, that's not their fault. That's just what my environment helps me to understand about myself, to stop judging myself. This is the key, people. Stop the judging and stop the blaming and just realize, oh, this is why I'm this way, but I don't have to stay this way. And this is the beauty of the work. Then once you recognize the, the cause and you recognize your involvement and you take responsibility to shift that action, then you can retrain the whole system. And this is just the view of basically learning to raise ourselves. And that's, once again, a big purpose of the whole Just Philosophy and the Wise Wise podcast. Yeah, it's definitely a choice to take on one of these perspectives. But like you said, it allows you to see it on a neutral basis. And if you do subscribe to the first pillar, um, everything can be in divine order, mm -hmm. um, or choosing to view everything in divine order, it allows you to take the personal out and get back to acceptance of like, it was supposed to be this way, or it was this way for a reason. So it allows you to move forward. But you know, I'm a very visual person, so like, I was trying to come up with a metaphor of kind of um, something you were talking about 
if we discover a new fruit or if we just go back to when, when fruit was discovered, right, right. <laughs> like we have an orange and we can't alter the orange unless we know where it came from. Right. So if we understand how plants create the oranges, then we can hybridize and create different fruits. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the act of understanding where it came from allows us to change the object. Yeah, it really what it does is it just changes the, our, the way we view it which changes the vibration that you're putting into your life moving forward. And that's why to adhere to gradual changes over long periods of time equals lasting results is very important. That you see, okay, once recognition happens, now a shift in perception happens, now a shift in action happens, that has to result in different outcome. That's through physics. And so we're just bringing the external world and how our external world is built into an internal platform. And so the wise, wise, take those why, why does this happen to me and turn it inside and say, why am I allowing this to affect me this way? That's where our true power is. And so we we briefly touched upon uh, some events and experiences that people could have that would create this sort of trauma. But, But what does it look like? nowadays if we're we really want to observe ourselves and our behaviors of where we can detect where a trauma has been created or something that we want to heal and i came up with um i mean i guess these things could be found in our habits and our preferences like you've talked about um well maybe that's not trauma but it's it's like a conditioning in a way Um, so maybe that's not a trauma but where would you say that we could see where we have work to do that we may want to heal yeah i think that uh you know that's just a good word to shift from from trauma to just conditioning and um, conditioning can be traumatic so but any conditioning is basically taking you away from your authentic self or your natural action and many people will defend their personality to think that that's who they really are. And our personality is who we have been trained to be, either out of resistance to our environment or in resonance. But normally it's our personalities created through these extremes of bouncing back and forth between the extremes. And our authentic self is somewhere in the middle there. And the human design and the destiny card system is, you know, two pathways, not the only two, but two pathways that we utilize in this work to help people uncover uh, that authentic self. And then that helps to see where the conditioning has been. See, some people don't know what's their family, so to say, and what's them. It's very hard to separate it. So in the you know, Destiny card system, for example, you most people get two cards. And then one card is their personality card, and that's the one that most people resonate with. And then there's a birth card. And that's for some people, some language you could say your soul's purpose or why you're here. And for many people, such as myself, there's a big drastic difference between those two cards. And so we have to learn to leave parts of our personality or that we are attached to, that we feel like is who we are, to become who we were really meant to be. And when people don't, aren't willing to do that, this is where a lot of suffering and discontentment is, that they can have all the cars and homes and money and even relationships and still not be happy because they're not fulfilling their purpose of why they're here. So being able to separate, first of all, yourself from your family 
and then separate your conditioned self from your authentic self, uh, that's the pathway of you know, self-development. And that's a subject that, of course, I've been studying for over 25 years and is very involved in this whole philosophy. Um, so, so whether it is a um, unconditioning, and I, you know, I love a, a saying that intelligence is in learning and wisdom is in the unlearning. And we spend so much time trying to learn new things in our culture. And the secret and the beauty is really is in the emptying, in the getting rid of the baggage that we've brought along that we've attached to. And, uh, you know, this is one of my favorite things to work with people with is to just help them declutter and find that uh, authentic self. And it's a beautiful process. So let's start digging into the the main topic here, which is, uh, do we ever really heal our our emotional trauma or our past trauma? And let's start out with this the the sort of metaphor that we see on the physical level, where when we get a cut, it opens up, it bleeds. I guess it might might be your body's way of of I mean, eventually the the process of quote healing, but but it bleeds out. I don't know if that's a mechanism of cleaning it or cleansing it. But it eventually scabs over, and then it slowly rebuilds itself, and you may be left with a scab, uh, and then it could be left with a with a scar eventually, mm-hmm. or maybe you know to the naked eye it may not be seen, but maybe under a microscope there there's always something there that's not it doesn't return a hundred percent to what it was before. Right. So when we look at the physical part of it, it never really quote heals. And I guess you can you can bring in time here because to make something go back to a time when it was something before, it's not really something that can happen in our reality. Right, right. Here. So so it's more about noticing that it got well. See, it's working toward wellness. But healing can imply that it's you know, it's back a hundred percent. And that's the mindset that I want to suggest people to work to get out of these these absolutes and work more toward the wellness and see that that you're not looking to be completely free of this thought ever entering your mind. But it's more like when you do enter, I've learned how to manage you and I've learned to send you to your room and I've learned to call on appreciation and uh, gratitude and other things and you're the trigger or the spokesperson for these beautiful things over here. So that becomes a whole different process of I'm not trying to get rid of you. I'm trying to learn to manage you and welcome you in, even though you're not necessarily the taste that I enjoy. So what I'm going to do is when you show up, you're going to remind me of, hey, remember this trauma? Remember when this person was mean to you? Thank you. I'm going to call somebody right now and tell them how much I appreciate them because I'm having a different experience now. And that's what we want to focus on. Use our past to remind us to be in gratitude and appreciation in your present. And this is a whole different process than trying to get rid of that past. And so by allowing it and accepting it and redirecting it in the just philosophy is the three R's. Recognize it, the person, the place, the energy, the thing. 
Show it respect by not emotionally reacting and taking your baggage out on that person, place, or thing, or subject. And then simply redirect the person, the plane, the energy, or whatever it is. So this is the process of wellness. And we just want to manage it and redirect it. And that's the way every thought process becomes in life, whether it's a physical issue or mental or emotional or energetic or spiritual. If you have some kind of trauma that comes up in any of those areas, then you want to show it by respect, by if it brings a negative emotion like sadness, accept it, cry, be sad, it's okay, and then release it and come back to gratitude. Process is the key here. Emotional processing. And this is what we're talking about. Allow the emotion. Show it respect. Don't tell it, don't you show up. Like many times, you know, I've seen parents in the past tell their kids, don't not to cry. You know, in my day, it was dry that crying up right now. And that's very uncool. <laughs> that That's what creates traumas on the emotional field that it's not okay to express. The thing that may have been more useful is if we were taught that it only takes about 45 seconds to truly process an emotion. So cry, let that out 45 seconds, now see it more clearly. That's processing. And that's the way to wellness, but it is a different process than healing. Yeah, there's definitely a difference in feeling the emotion versus reacting with that emotion, with that uh, in mind or, or in your body. And just one example is like in a romantic relationship, something may trigger you and like, let's say something from a past relationship caused you to cry. In that moment, if you just cry, cry it out and then come back, like you said, to, to seeing everything more clearly versus crying and then in that emotion, you identify with it with that emotion and you think that that person is causing that right. then you're going to take that emotion or accuse that person of causing that emotion which is going to cause uh, e- emotional distress in the relationship yeah, the end of communication um so so seeing that that yes if that was supported that if somebody said something to me that brought up like a trauma like maybe they snapped at me and it reminded me of maybe Sherry when she used to snap at me or something like that, and it brought up sadness, then yes, if I release that in a 40-second, like, and they even if they went into apology, and then I'm able to say, no, 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 you didn't do anything. You just reminded me of something that I haven't processed through yet, so thank you so much. And see, when you're able to do that, that person is more than likely playing a role And when you do your healing, they will stop snapping at you that way because it may be very uncharacteristic of them. And the more uncharacteristic it is of somebody, then typically that's a direct sign that they're playing a role for your healing. So this is what I would like to be able to see that, you know, one of the other pillars is emotional accountability and responsibility. And this is the whole key that we're going to trigger things in each other. When it's triggered, be willing to process it in 45 seconds or a minute and allow that, all that hurt to come. And then have the consciousness to know that this person didn't do that on purpose to attack me. That's what it felt like, but that's because I'm carrying past trauma. 
And then when that person, even if they go into apology or even if they don't, you're able to thank them once again for being your teacher and showing you that you had something that needed to be released. And then normally that uh, person that activated it would go into compassion mode. Now you're with somebody that you care about that triggered you, but you were honest and accountable. Now they've gone into compassion mode. Now you can talk about it. Now they're going to adjust their actions. You're going to adjust your receptivity. And this is working toward wellness, not healing. Some people may want to say, well, no, they're healing their traumas. No. In this view, they're learning to manage those traumas. And they're likely to sneak up every now and then. See, the healing would mean that they would never, ever have to go through that again. And that's not likely. That's a beautiful concept. But I find it's much more beneficial to learn to see it as management so that you're prepared that it could pop up at any time. And I want to be prepared to manage it, to put it out, put that fire out as soon as possible. Yeah, in that that situation, if you were triggered and then you started reacting in that trauma, it's going to trigger that person. Because when you're kind of being attacked or when you feel like this aggressive energy coming at you, your your first inclination is to be aggressive back or defensive, yeah. you know, depending on how you're, you're emotionally trained. And it's usually not to be compassionate right. to that person. Yes. Yes. I mean, it's just a basic thing of normally your first inclination when you get pushed is to push back. And what working on wellness is is that you see the push coming you simply step out of the way and then that energy gets tired of exhausting itself and so that's the redirect is that see we don't have to fight force with force all you got to do is be able to regulate and manage your emotions see force coming at you and merely step out of the way and then force may pull gather itself back up And they want to strike again, and you simply step out of the way. And then eventually it gets tired of attacking. And this is the way that you work on the energetic level. You don't have to fight back physically. You don't have to fight back energetically. You just merely redirect the energy, redirect the flow. And so this this works exceptionally well with children and with animals because it's about consistency. If you'll just be consistent with something, even something with limited communication, most things on this planet adhere to learning through repetition. And that's all that I'm suggesting here is every time somebody you feel like somebody is attacking you, that you choose to take emotional responsibility and accountability and not push back. And simply consider, oh, I saw that coming. I knew that they were upset. And I shouldn't have said that last thing that I said to get that sting. So, see, that's what I'm talking about, learning to step to the side. And sometimes you can pause for a minute with what you were about to say and not say it to ignite that sting. And that's stepping to the side, redirecting the energy. But in this case, it's by not doing, not saying. And sometimes the most magical solution is not. So remember that some of your most powerful action is non-action. And the more that you can do it with a countenance that's neutral rather than any passive aggressive type of energy, the more successful you'll be.
and uh, we've talked about it before, but that is essentially stopping the ripple. Because if we don't stop it in that moment, then it just continues this argument that, you know, just both people are triggered and it just keeps going and going and going until both get tired. But things can be said that may create more trauma. So you're definitely not helping the situation out if if somebody doesn't stop it at the beginning. Yes, yes. It's kind of like, you know, having some... Uh, having a fire and then having some gas that's mixed with water and you're you're debating whether to, is it going to ignite it more or is it going to actually put it out? And that's where words can be. They can, you've got a 50-50 chance of, is it going to help the situation or is it going to ignite? And I just choose majority of the time that if I even question it, then the answer is no. You know, if it comes up as a question, then that's close enough percentage wise that it's not worth the risk. And in my younger days, it was more worth the risk because I enjoyed debating and discussing some of this stuff more than uh, I I enjoyed it in a challenging way. More than now, I'm not interested in the challenge uh, anymore. I'm just interested in the sharing. So we we talked about never really healing because these things tend to pop up. I've had situations where I've, in my naive days, I thought I've, which is probably a couple, I mean, I guess like yesterday could be my, my <laughs> naive day because every day I'm, I'm blessed with, uh, you know, more wisdom, more wisdom um, as I go through my experiences. But I had this situation where I thought I, quote, healed how, how I handled my triggers with one person. But then when you bring that into another person, their energy is totally different. And then those those triggers become more extreme. And so we can think that we've healed or or managed successfully over a long period of time, you know, one of our past traumas or our triggers that we used to do. But once you bring in a different energy, it's totally changing the whole situation, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's I think this is a a very important part because see what we do is sometimes we will confuse growth with adaptation and we can learn to adapt to people and learn for them to not activate our triggers quite as much, but that doesn't mean that we are actually progressing in the trigger. We're adapting to the person. We're learning how to say things, when to say things And see, then, yes, once we maybe get out of the relationship with that person, we think we've healed something, and then we get in another relationship, and bam, there it is, like right away. So this is why, you know, I think it's important to not ask people to change because typically they will change for you, and that's adaptation. And so in my relationships, my experience is that I want to do my work first and then prove that when I do my work first, their actions change. And so many times there won't be a lot of discussion about that because, see, if you get into discussion about it, they start adjusting their actions. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're going to stay focused and understand that if they're adjusting their actions, then they're not activating my triggers as much. But that means that I'm not actually able to practice managing my triggers. We're just practicing our communication and relatability. That's two separate things. So as I was talking earlier in many situations, that's why I don't want somebody to make the adjustment. 
for me. For instance, I think I've used this before with a past relationship that left doors and drawers open. And I just asked her one time, I said, do you realize that you leave doors and drawers open? And she's like, oh my gosh, I remember my dad just screaming, hitting his shin on a drawer I left open. And so in that moment, I saw that this is actually something she carried, but she said, I haven't done it in a long time. And when she said that, I realized that she's playing a role for me. And she said, I'll try to remember not to do that. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't want you to change anything. I don't have a problem with it when I did. But but see, I didn't want her to change that because that was my emotional issue because when I walked into a room and see drawers or doors open, that bothered me for some reason. And I wanted to so-called heal that or learn to manage that better. So I left her and I walked back into the bathroom where the door was open and I just simply went through these stages. And I asked myself, Alexander, do you love that woman in there? The answer is yes. Alexander, will you close drawers and doors behind her and be happy to for the rest of your life? The answer was yes. And then I said, watch how easy this is to close this door. And I took one finger and I pushed that door closed. And then I stepped back and I said to myself, now, are you finished being frustrated or bothered by that action? And will you be happy to close these doors and drawers for the rest of your life? And I said, yes. That was my silliness to be frustrated or bothered by something like that. From that day forward, she never left another door or drawer open. Now, some could argue and choose to say, well, you brought it to her attention and she changed it. That's why I stopped in my own private life bringing certain things to people's attention because I can't prove that that wasn't the case. But my what I've connected that to and proved hundreds of other times is that no, when you do the healing on your resistance, it changes the need for that person to show up to play that role. So this is why uh, all the help that we want to do for those around us, you just work on yourself and you change your vibration and your ripple and it has to change everybody around you by the laws of physics or they have to leave your field. Um, that's the way energy works together. So so I think that that's um, you know, some interesting points for people to reflect on it kind of seems like you were also doing this replacement therapy type of thing where even if she did leave doors open every time you went to go shut one you would remember that process that you went through the questions that you asked yourself like i'm happy to do this for her versus a frustrated right. you know every time pushing one well another part of that is that of course at that time i had within the five years previous, gone through losing a wife to death. And so it changed the things that I was going to allow to bother me for the rest of my life. And this was like one of those small things that I used to allow to just bug me and frustrate me and bother me through my days. And that was one of those times where I was like, I'm done with these little things, allowing them, especially where somebody else is involved and keeping me from experiencing love because that's all that was doing is I'm choosing friction instead of just closing the door or drawer that takes two seconds because I could utilize from my own trauma, my own experience to go, would I be happy to close doors and drawers behind Sherry if she hadn't died? You know, I would now, <laughs> but that's the kind of stuff that death can bring us. It can bring us the true wisdom of the present moment and how important 
people and experiences are and to let go of the small stuff. So let's go back to that part about adaptation in relationships. How do you suggest that we practice this so that we are getting the optimal uh, view of of the progress of our management and processing of all this? Do we not ask that person to change? Do you suggest that? Is that is that more advanced? And, and maybe somebody just, you know, getting started in this, maybe maybe they need the other person to adjust a little bit, to to take the edge off. And and then is it okay that that in relationships we have that communication where we we talk about our vulnerabilities? And then how do you see or suggest to people who can be conscious uh, discuss those? Well, this is, you know, we are getting in a little bit of advanced territory because there's two separate things here. There's self-development work and there's relationship development work. And those are two separate things that optimally both parties focus on and are able to separate those two separate things. So communication, you know, is imperative, especially in the in the relationship. So that sharing about triggers and working together is extremely important. So but working on your individual traumas is, you know, going to be more of the long term importance. But you have to be able to develop the communication in the beginning to be able to work through the obstacles because the optimal answer to this is that you're working on both simultaneously and you're clear. And normally I like to suggest for people to just choose one thing to focus on. And like when it was those drawers and doors, then it would have been for weeks or whatever, me practicing that. I didn't happen to work out that way in that example. But, you know, normally... I would hold that as a focus that I don't want to talk about that one thing, but these five other things that we've had hiccups on, I want to discuss this and I want to, I want to work toward not triggering each other. And so see, at some point you always have the right to invite your partner at an advanced stage into stop regulating. And you can say, okay, I want you to stop worrying about how I'm going to take that word, you know, and I appreciate you taking this time to take that word out of your vocabulary and not use it because it was activating some triggers. But now I would like for you, because I love and trust you the most, I would like for you to start using that word again, and I'm going to do my work to work on my sensitivity to it. This is the optimal view, and it's been created. I've experienced this, and it's amazing but it is advanced. So the first step is the communication, I would say, in the relationship. And while things are just naturally coming up, each individual, you know, decides to really focus on, I'm going to work with truly managing and shifting this vibration. And then you choose how much you ask the other person, you know, to, to help you regulate it, to help you with it. Um, because that's, that's basically the difference. You're either choosing to ask your partner to do this as a team or you're choosing to take it on yourself. And it's it's just two different processes. Both are very useful. I guess we should make a conscious effort maybe going forward to maybe not use the term healing because I think we're kind of at the consensus that we, we really don't or we really can't heal something where it, where it returns to its original form. Mm-hmm. We are just uh, on a constant process because these triggers or traumas or emotions still come up 
and, and we can't solve for every variable in a situation because there may be a time where, where Alexander, you feel like you've mastered something, something from your childhood and you've been managing it for 10 years, but there could be one variable that comes into your life now and, and causes that reaction. Yes, and that's, and that's very realistic. I mean, that's why... I'd, uh, life can surprise people many times. As soon as you think that you're over something or past something, uh, you will certainly be challenged. So I choose to support the, the, the view of never think that you're beyond anything. Stay humble. Stay prepared. Stay grateful that I'm not having to deal with this. I'm so thankful that, you know, and, and I think that that awareness helps, you know, I think that works with addicts. Yeah. And, you know, there's something that um, about that the awareness is a key part of it. To be aware, but not ad- identify, and I think that's a that's a big step. That awareness, but not identifying as. It sounds similar to um, separate your thoughts from your core, from yourself. Whereas your thoughts are just kind of that stream, and and you don't have to identify with them. It can just be like. You can associate it as uh, somebody or like your friends or little voices. <laughs> I guess that sounds a little a little odd there, but <laughs> maybe don't say that out loud <laughs> in public places. Uh, <laughs> but just things like trying to warn you, like I kind of associate that with emotions. Like emotions are are useful and mm-hmm. or they can be useful where they they're trying to warn us of like past experiences that we've been through that they've they've lived through and seen and and they know one way that it turns out right. but there's different variables in each and every situation so it's not already always right when it's trying to warn us yeah and that's the main thing is just realizing that the emotions are ignorant messengers they don't have any details. They're just in like uh, scream mode all the time, just jumping to the extreme. So, so yes, to use them as the alert for the awareness, but then please sit down. Now you don't have any more say. And many times, majority of people let their negative emotions, when they show up, they, they become in charge. And this is, you know, my view of consciousness. The whole uh, meaning of that word is that you're able to choose Consciousness is about being able to choose in any moment the role or the action or the word uh, or the vibration that you're going to put out. And emotions don't allow that choice. It's a reaction. And so that's why the just philosophy is, once again, a process to get to response rather than emotional reaction. And another great practice is for people to learn to separate emotions from feeling. And most people interchange those two words and they'll say, oh, I'm feeling sad. And I would rather or suggest for you to say, oh, I'm emoting sadness today. Because just consider that the only true feeling may be love, that that vibration, that thing that, that when you can't explain how you feel about somebody or something or an animal and you just cry, that's... That's a feeling, and I'm just suggesting that every other experience that we have is more than likely an emotion, and emotions are maya or illusion, extreme, and shouldn't be trusted. should just be, like I said, respected, paid awareness to, but then they don't get to direct at all. So that respect is that they're appreciated, but they don't get to have any say. 
they just get to let themselves be known, so to say. So just going back to that relationship part of this conversation that we were talking about a little bit ago, I wanted to know, is there a way that we can work on triggers that happen within the relationship outside of the relationship so that the next time that happens in the relationship, we've done work on in between it so that we're getting better. And so one example might be uh, one person is very passionate about something, whether it be a hobby or church or their, their spiritual practice. And when one person, I know because, you know, I, I experienced this, when, when a person has a hobby or a spiritual practice, it can mean a lot to them. Mm-hmm. And they may be very passionate about it and they kind of maybe want to share that with someone or at least know that they are supported. And I know that people can say that they support them and which, which I think maybe on some level means that there's no resistance there, but then there's also kind of a level of support where somebody does it with you. And I don't, I don't know like where the level is as far as their enjoyment goes, but there is some sort of like next level of support where they're actually, um, going along with you or doing it with you because they know that it means a lot. Mm -hmm. So in that instance, if somebody doesn't feel supported in that because the person doesn't want to do it with them, how can they work on that resistance that they're feeling within themselves um, outside so that it doesn't continually be a source of discomfort within the relationship and the person isn't waiting for every time it comes up to re-acknowledge and, and re-trigger and reignite mm-hmm. that same conversation. Yeah, I think a big uh, part of this is realizing that when we want something, it's a pushing energy. And no one likes to be pushed. So many times when we're meeting people, uh, we're a whole lot more flexible and bendable. And we will pretend to be into whatever they're into so that we can get to know them better and all this. And then... Normally about six months is when it starts to settle out and people start going, yeah, I'm not really into that. I really don't want to do that. Really don't even like you doing it. You know, that, that kind of honesty can start to come out. And normally that does create a divide, but what it really creates is an urgency or an urge to now all of a sudden I want you to because you don't want to. And now this is a big deal because I'm who I am and it brings in all of this really competition energy is what it is. And that competitive energy is the opposite of intimacy. So now both parties are feeling strong about exemplifying, you know, their beliefs or whatever. And, and so unfortunately that starts to deteriorate intimacy with a lot of people. And that doesn't mean that they can't continue on in a functioning relationship. And that happens often, but, what I would like to suggest to your question is what do you do to work on it is that you look to see that your authentic fulfillment in it, if you are truly being authentically fulfilled and being consistent in the practice of it, and you don't carry the need or even the want for your partner to be into it because you want to exemplify it. See, when we want them to be into it, that's an intellectual want. But when we get past the want and we just go, no, I just want to be into this as much as I can, resonate it out as powerful as I can, and those that can understand it or is time for, they will resonate with it. And 
somebody enjoying and being truly in their truth without needing to prove it, without needing to so-called share it, that is what becomes attractive. Because most people are attracted to somebody that is confident. They're attracted to something that doesn't carry that doubt. And when we're in the want stage of wanting another person to do or say or be into something, that is, we're in that doubt. That's what that really comes down to is insecurity. And you're looking most of the time for approval from your mate. And their lack of being willing to be involved means that they don't approve of what you're doing. And that's what creates all these negative ripples. So the internal work or the wise why is why am I not completely self-satisfied in this experience? And if I was self-satisfied in this experience, then it would be much more attractive to my mate. Because when you're self-satisfied, it don't matter who else in, uh, involves themselves in it. You're self-satisfied. So what that means is, oh, I don't need you. I'm happy over here. In most intimate relationships, when somebody feels that, that's what can make somebody go, whoa, 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 no. <laughs> don't, don't go too far. I mean, I, I want to experience this with you, so please share with me what, you know, what you're into. So paying attention to the want creates a push. And that that want is showing you really that you're not completely self-fulfilled in this subject, in this task and that that self-fulfillment is what's really more than likely going to create the attraction. And that's the story I've told about Sherry now once again, that, you know, it took me a year and a half, 18 months of being consistent and not, not, I wasn't not, not being supported. It was more like the neutral where we were. So you can have somebody that judges you, and then you can have somebody that's neutral, they're not really supportive, and then you can have somebody that's supportive. And different variations in that. And so we were more like around the neutral. And then, but after a year and a half and 18 months of setting this certain example, then that's when she said, I want to understand what you're doing. But see, I had to give up the want of wanting her to do that. So what I did is I supported her because she really enjoyed going to different temples and churches and synagogues and anything to where people gathered and celebrated union with the divine in as many different ways as possible. And that really wasn't my thing. So I supported her to go do that. I knew every Sunday she was going to meet up with a friend. They were going to go Sunday morning. They were going to some tiny temple. So I looked forward every Saturday. I was sure to bring that up and show interest and say, hey, where are you and -and so-and-so going tomorrow? And then when she would come back, I would show interest, but genuine, because I want her interest in what I was into to be genuine too. So make sure that whatever you're asking for or looking for, you're giving simultaneously. So see, I was working with getting rid of this competition and going, hey, as long as you don't you know, doubt it and judge it and blah, 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 I can be content with that. And I can support you in this area. And what that did was it wound up showing that, yeah, she's just going around and hearing all these different languages. And I was focused on creating a singular language that help bring more clarity. And that was eventually what we got on and got to experience, you know, growing together with. And I asked this question because I I have some experience with certain situations, like I mentioned, and 
for mine, I also question my want. Like, why do I feel this need for approval? And I think we've we've talked about in the past, I traced or you helped me trace that back to my approval issues from my mother, mm-hmm. where as a child, I always wanted her to go to like my bowling competitions or when I played wiffle ball and sure. she just never did. And she was just never into that type of thing and and or sports or, or any of that competition energy. And that always kind of stuck with me. Like, why? I never asked her why as a child, but it, like, my dad would come to some things, but my mom never did. And she'd, she'd always have to, like, live through how I talked about it. Mm-hmm. And so I've kind of held on to that. And uh, I think it's funny that she was one of the only people in my family who listened to this podcast. <laughs> and so I've done work on it. I know I still have a lot to, to go because it never really heals. Right. Um, so these things tend to pop up from time to time. And my approval issues, um, I, I find at the root of, of some things from time to time. So it never really goes away. Yeah. So, you know, having that um, that willingness to approach it from a management standpoint and to say, hey, this can pop up at any time. The main thing is that I want I don't want to be a victim to it and I don't want to be directed by it. And that's why I choose to work with emotions just like children. You don't have to prove that you're the boss of the child. If you're trying to prove that you're the boss, you're missing the whole point It's how you exemplify. And if you exemplify yourself properly, there's no doubting the roles here between the child and the adult and same with the emotions the emotions don't get to rule when you create the consistency of thank you for the alarm but please sit down we're not in danger here and you learn to process it a different way so you know many of us uh, i would say probably most americans have approval issues because of not being fulfilled by one parent or the other and of course that's not the parent's fault it's just that They're doing the best that they knew how, and most parents don't take the time to just pay attention to what's really important to the child and what really isn't, and that's a dance within itself. But but to to just be aware of that and to say, okay, I need to start working on this approval thing and that the way that I work on that is being more confident in the work or the studies or the whatever it is that I'm into – and exemplifying it. See, you have to take it past the conceptual stage, the talking about it, and in the exemplifying. So when we are in doubt, it's because that we're not exemplifying enough of it to make us feel confident that, no, this works. This I practice this so much, so therefore I don't need other people's approval. And this is the beauty of that truth never needs defending. Truth only needs to be stated. And that's uh, so when we want truth to be heard, we've forgotten the meaning of truth. And that's what being the example of the three questions of who are you, what are you about, and what do you exemplify? The whole step of exemplifying and why that is advanced is that that's what solidifies your stance and standing in your power and who you are, what you're about, and what you exemplify is that you do these practices over and over so that these weaknesses in us that we all carry, they get respect, but they don't get to direct. They get respect, but they don't get to direct. And that's why we keep that all overseeing conscious eye to direct. 
but we still respect those so-called negative triggers that are happening. And so if you are sharing something with somebody you care about, and maybe they yawn, or maybe they get distracted and go to something else, I experience this from time to time. And then I remind myself, Alexander, everybody's not into this stuff as much as you are. And then that helps me to buffer it a little bit. And then I find something to appreciate about the person right away in that moment. And that helps me to buffer that judgment and that not being fulfilled or not feeling like I'm being uh, supported. That if I'm feeling that, then I need to go practice some more. I need to go do something to exemplify everything that I'm about. And so that might be a kind gesture to somebody. That might be gifting. That might be calling somebody and giving praise or appreciation. But it's a call for action when we don't feel like someone is properly supporting us. Um, it's a call to action. And the more we we process and manage a certain type of trauma or emotion that we have, and after already understanding the root of it, the more we become friends with it and the easier it is. So yeah. it can seem like we're healing it, but it's just because we've made friends with it yeah. and we're comfortable. You're, you're basically working into the second um, pillar of polarity versus duality. You're, this is the process of moving from duality and resistance to polarity and acceptance of, oh, you're going to be fr- here, friend. You've been here my whole life, you little trigger of me feeling uh, like it could be... Con- connected to abandonment, um, a lack of support, when, you know, it's selfish to want to direct people in how to support us. That should be a natural process. It should be something that that happens naturally. And if there's resistance there, like I said, normally, that means that you question it in yourself. And when we can get clear in our own questioning then many times we will feel more supported by those around us. So using people as the messengers, once again, another of the pillars of everyone and every situation has something to teach you if you're willing to look for it. And in closing, I wanted to just bring up this perspective of when we look at healing and we look at managing and processing, one, at least in my perspective, can bring on pressure. Like healing can mean that you have pressure to make this whole again, to make this perfect again. It can be seen as that. A completion. Yeah. And whereas like managing and processing is more like an ongoing process. Yeah. Yeah. Again, <laughs> like you don't have to be perfect. It's going to take time. It's going to, you need to have a consistent energy to, to take it on. And so I feel like moving away from healing to processing and managing allows the person to take that pressure off and just to know that this is an ongoing uh, process and you're never going to reach a level of perfection. And to maybe, I mean, I guess in my eyes, it would take off some self-judgment on like how much and how perfect I'm being in my practice. Yeah, well, let's Uh, talk about that. Yes, an understanding of that it's a marathon rather than a sprint. And many so-called spiritual people or even in the the healing world look at, you know, something's wrong. I've got to fix this rather than, A, let's, let's work towards this getting better and better. 
And now, B, let me work on what created this. That's the complete picture. And then, oh, I need to break this pattern of this uh, habitual action so that I don't create this injury again. And that is, once again, why the Just Philosophy supports all five levels, working on all five of those levels, the physical, mental, emotional, energetic, and spiritual, all simultaneously to get to that optimal wellness. So I can hear all the collective sighs from everybody listening. The relief. Yeah. That, we just took a million yeah. pounds off of it. <laughs> no, that's, uh, that would be the, the beautiful if it, if it does do that for people. So if people want to just take a different view at this healing process, but let's move more towards management and processing and... Wellness. And wellness, Overall yeah. Because that's, that's really what we're, what we're trying to achieve here. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. All right. Stay tuned for our three minutes of stillness. Notice the sycamore swaying and free. No worries at all, just a tree. From this sapling, a lesson it lends self fulfillment and growth within. No ego to feed or emotions to ride. Not worried of judgments or concerned with pride. With these thoughts, humbly I try. For life as a sycamore, wisdom in time. So look out your window and look inside. Uncover your nature, the forest you hide. Uncover your nature, the forest you hide.
We appreciate your interest in self-growth, conscious communication, and continuing to ask the wise wise. And remember, gradual changes over long periods of time equals lasting results. The Just Philosophy, as discussed in this podcast, has been developed by Alexander over the last 22 years in his private practice, professional environment, and private studies. The information discussed is intended for educational purposes only. It is not meant as a replacement for conventional medicine. Just remember, knowledge plus experience equals wisdom. Seek the wise. As we continue sharing this information, there are also multiple ways to share and support this work. Gain access to our exclusive content, behind-the-scenes footage, and other products that assist you on your self-awareness journey by joining our patron team in exchange for a monetary donation by visiting wise-wise.com slash patron. That is wise-whys.com slash p-a-t-r-e-o-n. Another way of support is by sharing this podcast with receptive individuals or even leaving a review on popular platforms such as iTunes or Facebook helps us introduce this work to others through the listener's words. We are also on most major social networks, so follow us along there or even join our Facebook group community. Continue your journey by visiting Alexander's website where you are able to book private consultations in person, by phone, or even Skype. Know thyself better with human design and destiny card reports and readings as mentioned in this podcast. View a calendar of his live performances and class schedule. Peruse his other products such as shirts, CDs, and the revolutionary VibroTune sound vibrational therapy tables that assist with subtle energy alignments. So grab that keyboard and go to thejustphilosophy.com for those goodies. That's T-H-E-J-U-S-T P-H-I-L-O-S-O-P-H-Y dot com. And if you love the touch of a soft shirt with a message that will warm your heart in resonation, then check out my company, Verity's Apparel, where I am a one-man band doing it all from design to physically printing the garment. It's sealing it all with a conscious touch. Just go to veritiesapparel.com, V-E-R-I-T-E-E-S-A-P-P-A-R-E-L.com. Thank you all for being a part of this journey with us.